This is recording number 10802 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the third message in the Outpouring series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 8, 2009. This message is titled, The Language of the Heart. Turn in your Bibles to the book of, um, actually we're going to do two things here that seem a little odd, but I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and then when you get to there, mark that spot, and then turn to Acts chapter 2, A-C-T-S, Acts. And we're going to continue today. a study we began two weeks ago of the book of Acts. The title of the series is The Outpouring because the, the book of Acts is about uh, what happens in the wake of Jesus' ascension into heaven when he turns a, a group of uh, misfit uh, fishermen and, and whatnots loose on the world, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And um, on the day of Pentecost, which we studied about last week, these, um, this ragtag group of people experienced the coming upon or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that began a process of reverberations and rippling out from their own lives to touch ultimately the whole known world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Acts, I told you to turn to Acts chapter 2, but uh, one chapter back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is a verse of scripture that captures the um, outline of the entire book and describes this very succinctly and very powerfully. Jesus is speaking and he says this to his disciples prior to his ascension. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and and, uh, to the end of the earth. And that's what we are observing through the arc of the narrative of this book. The fulfillment of that Uh, prophecy by Jesus. Now, we've said this already a couple of times. Bear with me for those who haven't been with us. But the book of of Acts was written by a physician, a medical doctor named Luke. And uh, his purpose in writing both the Gospel of Luke, which was the first volume in this set, and then Acts, which was the follow-up, His purpose in writing these two volumes was to present an orderly and clear-eyed and um, thoughtful uh, record of the events of Jesus' life and ministry and then the ministry that uh, flowed out of his via or through his followers. What we're reading in the book of Acts is amazing stuff. And sometimes you, you read this and you just think, oh my goodness, 
how could any of this, how could this actually happen? But it did. It did. I'm so grateful that God uh, saw to it that a man of learning, a man not given to, you know, wild and craziness, a man who was uh, inclined to approach every aspect of his life methodically and uh, uh, insightfully, I'm glad that the Lord arranged for for this man, Dr. Luke, to be the one to record these events because sometimes you just think, you read these things and they're so amazing and so so wonderful, you just think, well, this, this has got to be just some sort of fairy tale stuff, but it's not. It's not. And it's our desire, my desire, as we move through the, the study of the book of Acts to recapture in my own life as well as uh, within our congregation a sense of, it, of what it's like to just be uh, in, the, in the raw flow of the power of the Holy Spirit living out this assignment that we all share as followers of Christ to take his gospel to the whole world. So that's why the subtitle up there is Primitive Christianity because we're, uh, although there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, uh, maturation, the maturation process, you would expect and you would want for the followers of Christ and the church to go through a process of maturing and of... Uh, kind of working out some of the bugs of things, you know. And so you would expect that the church of Jesus Christ, as it was born, would have some maturing that it would need to go through. And uh, we'll see that as we uh, march our way through the pages of the book of Acts. But boy, there is just something so, uh, so thrilling and exciting and alive in those early days of the church's life that I just want to recapture in my own. And so I'm taking you along for the ride. The first week we talked about the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, because all that happens in the, in the book of Acts is predicated upon Jesus' uh, command to his followers, don't leave this city until you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Everything I've asked you to do is impossible for you, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. So we talked about who the Holy Spirit is. Last week we talked about Pentecost, the birth of the church and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We talked about what the baptism with the Holy Spirit is. Because in the beginning of this book, Luke describes something that Jesus said. He said that, uh, Jesus said this, John, the, John the Baptist, whom most of you have heard about, he baptized with water unto repentance. But not long from now, you guys, you're going to be baptized in or with the Holy Spirit. So we talked about that and what that means. And I started last week by saying, some of you will remember, actually giving you a little bit of a warning, that I, what I said was, I speak in tongues. And I said that because I, want you, I wanted you to kind of get over that so that we can uh, kind of talk about that because we encountered it. We encountered it in chapter 2. And um, I was listening to the radio this morning on my way in and um, as I pulled into the parking lot, the guy on the talk radio station began to talk about the issue of speaking in tongues. And every time you hear it, every time somebody in, in, uh, uh, in the media or e- even your friends or on the street, uh, every time somebody talks about this subject, it's always with derision. It's always condescending. It's always, oh, those foolish idiots. You know, it's not, they don't say that outright, but that's, that's the the force of it. How many of you know what I mean? Yeah. 
you're sitting here thinking right now, oh no, what have I gotten into? <laughs> I promise you, nothing bizarre, strange, or weird is going to happen. Uh, it, it's it's going to be all right. But if we're going to be honest with uh, the book of Acts and with what God has clearly illustrated through its pages concerning his intentions for his church, we got to get past, we got to get to the place where we understand at least, let alone experience, but we need to understand the, the connection of the release of this spiritual gift uh, to those who are devoted to following Christ in the power of his spirit. And so that's all I'm asking you to do is to hang with me as we discuss this a little further. I run the risk of overemphasizing this gift, but that's only because, for the most part, it is underemphasized. So if, this, when we, if you'll give me this week, I promise we'll get off the subject, all right? Um, but it is such a... You know, in fact, and we talked about this some last week, Acts chapter 19... The Apostle Paul comes to the city of Ephesus and he finds there a group of people who are believers in Jesus. They are Christians. They are followers of Christ, just like you and me. And one of the very first things that Paul asks them, he says, have you experienced the fullness of the Spirit? And they, they go, well, no, we, didn't, we don't even know. What is the Holy Spirit? Their understanding was incomplete in this regard and Paul's first um, uh, task with them was to teach them about the power of the Holy Spirit that was available to them. He laid his hands on them, prayed for them. They received what, they, what he had received in, in uh, Damascus, what the apostles had received on the day of Pentecost, and on and on. They received the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the filling with, the empowering, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and they spoke with tongues. And so this is the pattern of the... Uh, of the early church, and it's something worthy of our investigation. So let's let's get into it to, today. I ask you to turn to Acts chapter two to um, just to set the stage. Verse one of Acts chapter two: When the day of Pentecost had fully come, Pentecost was a Hebrew celebration, and all of the uh, men, uh, all of the Hebrew men, were required to be in Jerusalem for the celebration. That's why that's that's there. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they appeared to them. Uh, then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire or flames of fire, and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. So let's talk about what this means. What is speaking in tongues? And now you can leave Acts chapter 2 and go back to 1 Corinthians 14 where I'd ask you to mark your place. Let's talk about what speaking in tongues is not first. It's not a means for overcoming a language barrier. Sometimes people will say, well, yeah, we read about the gift of tongues in the New Testament, but that was because these people were going into uh, new uh, areas and they didn't speak the language, and so the Lord was giving them miraculous means for communicating the gospel in languages they hadn't, hadn't ever learned. The problem with that thesis is it's nowhere supported in the Bible. That's not what happened. So it's not that. If you've, if you've encountered that 
that definition. And, and people use that in order to write this gift off so they don't have to deal with it. Uh, it, was, it was for another time, another purpose, yada, yada. Except it's not biblical. It's also not a secret code. I've heard this so many times. People will say, ah, oh, speaking in tongues, that's, that's so I can talk to God in a secret code that the devil can't decipher. No, the Bible, the Bible does not teach that either. It's not that. I don't mean to make fun of you or anyone else who, who may have um, embraced this description of what speaking in tongues is, but, dear one, it's not, it's not biblical. Okay? It is also not uh, understood by the speaker. Sometimes people get um, really tripped up by this, that it's... Um, they don't recognize the language that they're speaking or they're hearing from someone else, and so they, they get kind of uh, disturbed by that. But the Bible clearly says here in 1 Corinthians 14 that when we speak in an unknown tongue, our understanding is unfruitful. Of course, we don't, we don't, it's not for us to understand. It is also not necessarily a known language. Sometimes people really get hung up on that too. They'll say, I've had people who have experienced, I've been there. And they've experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their lives and the release of this gift in their life. And then they'll shut it down because of doubts over, well, that just sounds like gibberish. That doesn't sound like the real thing to me. And that's so sad because the Bible clearly says in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... Uh, this is, doesn't have to be a known language. It, it's, it's, not about, it's not about the words. It's not about the language, as you'll see later. So these are things that speaking tongues is not. Let's talk about what it is. It is one of the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is nearby where you are in, in chapter 14 there, uh, verses 7 through 11, give us a list of the gifts of the Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit are a subset of spiritual gifts. Let's don't get that confused. There's a whole range of things that the Bible describes are spiritual gifts, enablements that God gives to us. Uh, but the gifts of the Spirit are a subset of that, and they are specifically, I call them, this is not scripture, but I call them power tools. Because they're designed to empower us to do the supernatural stuff that Jesus has called us to do. So they are one, the gift of tongues is one of these gifts of the Spirit. It's also a means of communicating to God directly from our spirits. I call it the language of the heart. Let me see if I can describe that for you a little more graphically. Typically, when we communicate with God, something begins in my heart. I, I want to, there's something there that I want to communicate of, of either love or devotion or sometimes confusion or uncertainty or fear or whatever it is, but it's, it begins deep in me somewhere. And I know I got to get this thing before God. So communicating with God in prayer and worship, it starts somewhere deep in me. And then I have to take my vocabulary and, and try to pull words out of that to to make sense of this thing so that I can have words to express it to God, whether they are spoken words or thought, words that I think, because you can pray to God without speaking, right? But I still, even when I'm praying without speaking, I'm still thinking words. 
right? So I have to filter what my heart wants to communicate to God through my language, through my vocabulary, whatever. And every language has its limitations. The next thing is I take these words and then I begin to direct them towards God, either vocally or, or uh, in, in, uh, in my mind. And I reach God with this message. What if we could simplify that? What if we could take the filter, the, the logjam, the, the, the barrier, the, the uh, bottleneck of vocabulary out of the way? More, it'd be a more direct line of communication with God. And that's what speaking in tongues is. It's a way for me to communicate with God from my heart without having to try to find a way to... It's like taking a fire hose and directing that massive flow of water through a, a soda straw, you know, when I have to figure out how to get words wrapped around what my heart is feeling. If I could take the soda straw out of the way and just talk to God out of my heart, wouldn't that be desirable? And that's why, dear one, that's why I'm convinced that the Lord made it clear that uh, this gift of the Holy Spirit was something that he wanted for people who were spirit-baptized to, uh, to enter into immediately because of the benefit that it has in terms of my relating to God. Um, there, people will... Uh, often, well, anyway, let's put it this way. Here are some reasons why some don't speak in tongues. First, uh, there is ignorance. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean these things. I mean that there's, the person hasn't ever experienced any teaching. They've never, they've never carefully taken a look at the book of Acts or the rest of the New Testament. They've never had anybody to show them. Like the, the believers in Ephesus when Paul arrived there, they'd never even heard about the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's quite common. Uh, another reason is that they've experienced erroneous teaching. And there are people, I've already mentioned a couple of erroneous teachings that find their, find their uh, way around this subject that people get exposed to. Uh, another thing is that they're just simply unreceptive. They've decided, wow, that's just too weird for me. And, and they opt out. There's also sometimes concern that they have over abuses. They've seen people do Fleshly, weird, bizarre, stupid, foolish, I could continue on, things in the name of speaking in tongues or gifts of the Spirit or the Holy Spirit or God in general. Anybody ever, ever been exposed to that kind of stuff? Now, <clears throat> Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, where I had you turn today, is addressing a scene just like that. In the city of Corinth... The believers there had just, they'd just gone off the rails with this thing about speaking in tongues. And they would get together and that's pretty much all they'd do. Just rattle off in, in unknown languages. And Paul says, you know, someone who is an unbeliever or someone who maybe even a believer but doesn't understand this stuff. When they come into your church services, they think you're nuts. And the implication is, and they're right. And, and we've all been exposed to odd and weird behaviors that people have tried to pin on God. But I want you to notice something. When Paul is addressing a scene that is out of control and um, where this kind of overemphasis and odd and weird behavior is happening, 
And he says this. He says in verse 5, chapter 14, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Now, to me, that is just plain nuts, Paul. What? You're throwing gasoline on a fire. But Paul says those words because he is intent on not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. He's intent on making, bringing correction, and he does, an order to a chaotic situation, but not at the expense of the preciousness of this gift. So fooling, let's just acknowledge foolish things have been done in the name of speaking in tongues, but let's also acknowledge that Paul corrects abuses but encourages the exercise of the gift. Another reason that sometimes people don't speak in tongues is because it's said that uh, tongues is, let's see if I can back that up, tongues is divisive. Anybody ever heard that? Okay, just me. Well, uh, this was something I've heard all, you know, a lot of times when I was uh, through, through my growing up years because I was not raised in a Christian or a church environment where these things were taught or embraced or encouraged in any way. And, and one of the, whenever it would crop up, some, somebody would come along and say, we don't talk about that here. That subject is divisive. Well, if you've ever encountered that or or maybe uh, even embraced it along the way, consider this, that nearly every single doctrine of Christianity is divisive with somebody. Do we we dunk them or sprinkle them? (laughs) (laughs) The list, we could go on and on. Nearly every single thing the Bible teaches, you're going to find somebody who's going to disagree with it or take issue with it. And that's one of the reasons why there are so many different denominations is because, you know, do we have, uh, do we have congregational government? Do we have uh, Episcopal government, which is, you know, top-down, a hierarchy, hierarchical leadership? I mean, there's just issues over everything. So we don't, this is, a, uh, uh, this is a, an argument against speaking in tongues that just doesn't hold up. Um, let's see if we get past this. Okay, so another reason why sometimes people don't speak in tongues is because it's said that tongues is the least of the gifts. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but there was one brother in particular that comes to my mind right now serving in, in our church. And he, uh, one of our churches that we had previously pastors, and, and this is what he would say to me. He, he would say, well, um, I, I'm, I'm in pursuit of the more important gifts. Tongues is the least of the gifts. Now the, re- now, the thing is, the Bible does not say that anywhere. Nowhere does it say that. Where they get this from is that it, um, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, there's a list of, um, of gifts that are taken from the various categories of spiritual gifts, including tongues, and it comes at the end of the order. It's the last one listed. And also because Paul uh, says, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And, and he seems to exalt uh, prophecy over some of the other gifts. And so, anyway, make a long story short, the idea is that tongues is sort of the low man on the totem pole, right? But the listing argument doesn't hold up. In fact, even in Paul's uh, own writings, just a few uh, you know, verses uh, where, from where we are right now, he says, verse 13 of chapter 13, And now abide faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest is the one mentioned last. So if you're going to try to you know, create this doctrine from, from the listing argument, 
you have some trouble. And then another thing that will come up sometimes is people will say, well, I, I, I'm waiting. I, I want the best gifts. You know, because that's what Paul says. He says, um, desire er- earnestly the best gifts. Somebody find that verse for me. 1231. Thank you. Desire earnestly the best gifts. But that's not a, that's not a statement about the relative value or less value of, these, of any of the gifts of the Spirit. It's talking about what's important for the moment. If I'm out on the street, gotten hit by a car and bleeding to death, I don't need somebody to speak in tongues to me. What is the gift I need? Healing. Healing. And right now. <laughs> and so Paul is just talking about, let's be, let's be rational about this. Remember, he's speaking to a group of people. They've taken this one gift and they've just run away with it. And he said, wait a minute. Desire the gifts that are best for the moment. What is called for? God has given you a whole toolkit. Use what's needed for the moment. Now, there have been times I've tried to use a screwdriver to to hammer in a nail, but it doesn't always go so well. All right. Let's talk about um, one more of these things, why people don't speak in tongues. And that's because people will say, it is said that tongues is not for everyone. And I won't go through the passages here that, that they use to support that. The problem is that this really arises out of a confusion over the public and private demonstration of this or, or experience of this gift. Paul puts many restrictions on the public uh, ex- uh, expression of this gift, but not on the private expression of this gift. And those restrictions on the public expression of the gift get misinterpreted to mean that uh, you know, not everybody is going to speak in tongues. And what Paul is addressing is, the, again, the issue present in the Corinthian church. So when you all get together and you're all rattling off in tongues, let's get some order here. Not everybody needs to speak out in tongues in a church service. Let it be by two or at the most three and then with interpretation so we all benefit. So he's bringing some order to a chaotic situation and, and this notion arises out of that. Now the better part. Why should we? speak in tongues again the private expression of this gift the value are these at least these four things enhanced prayer and you um, I would be surprised if many of you it would be probably less than 10% of you this morning have ever heard me speak in tongues or pray in tongues but I regularly do Mostly it's confined to my private devotional life. Just this morning, I got up and I was praying before. This, this is a very busy day for my wife and I. And I was, we, we have our grandchildren with us. And you know what that's like when you have grandchildren. Those of you who are over 50. <laughs> oh, sorry. I guess you would, probably wouldn't have grandchildren if you were under 50. But you know, we delight and love to have them. But man, it takes a week to recover. <laughs> So anyway, this is going to be a busy day. We, we have lots of things that we're, we're involved in ministry-wise, and that can be very draining. So I was just praying, and I was asking God for help. But before I even knew it, I started to pray out of my spirit to God, bypassing the, the funnel, the, the soda straw, and just out of my heart talking to God about that. 
also enables us to have an enhanced worship and praise. Have you ever been in a moment where you just loved God so much, wanted to tell him that, and you pause and you say, God, I love you. I had you earlier in the service say to someone else, I love Jesus. And there are times when we will say, Jesus, I love you. But it's not enough. Have you ever had that experience? It's just not enough. I will sing these songs, our God saves. And we are, there's something rising up in us that's just, yes, amen. Thank God for that person who crafted that song and they captured something of what my heart wants to say to God, but it's still not enough. Thank God for the gift of tongues. Because I, then I'm, I'm not limited to anyone's vocabulary. No songwriter's vocabulary. No uh, devotional writer's vocabulary. No, um, I'm not limited to a dictionary. I can talk to God and express my love and devotion to Him from the depths of my soul. It is also healing for the soul. Paul says... Um, here in chapter 14, he says that when we speak in, uh, in tongues or speak in an unknown language, that we're revealing mysteries. We're speaking mysteries. And the, in, the uh, phraseology is not that we're continuing to hide a mystery, but reveal one. A mystery is something that's, that's been hidden, not yet revealed. And Paul is saying that when we speak in tongues, there's a mystery being revealed. How many of you know we've got over a, a, time, a lifetime, we get stuff lodged in our soul that begins to choke off the life of God in us? And there's something about those times of praying before God and the Spirit that allows some of the, that debris to get revealed so that He can clear it out. <clears throat> then finally, um, edification. Verse 4 of chapter 14, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. You know what? Edification means to, to make something more permanent. You've heard the word edifice. Uh, you know, a large structure. You know, a big building. That's an edifice. Uh, something solid, something strong, something firm, something lasting. And when we are being edified... We, something permanent, something more permanent, more substantial, more firm, more strong of God's work is being shaped in me. Paul says, when I'm praying in the Spirit, I'm edifying myself. I've actually heard people use this uh, verse to disregard tongues. As, as, though, <laughs> as though it would be selfish to want to edify yourself. Let's, let's get involved in something that edifies somebody else. Yes, please, edify other people. But edify yourself, too. And God has granted us this gift in part to do that. In Jude, it says, um, edify yourself praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, then there's also the public expression of this gift. And, and I'm not going to take much time with this today because it's not my point. Someday we'll, we'll come back to this maybe and this part of it and the value of speaking in tongues in a public setting. But there's these two things I'll, t- I'll make note of. First of all, Paul says it's a sign to unbelievers. It's a sign to unbelievers. The tragedy, dear one, is that this gift has been so misunderstood and so abused 
that it actually most often when it's exercised in a public meeting serves to scare unbelievers off. That to me is so sad because Paul says it's supposed to be something that amazes them. The wonder of it draws them to the Lord. They see this, the the beauty of this display and they're drawn to the Lord. And that's my, my desire, my hope for my own, my own life and for our congregation that we will uh, get this thing right so that it can fulfill everything God intended for it to be. Finally, uh, edification of the church. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. And remember, he's talking about in public, in a church service. It's more important for us to have prophecy uh, prominent in those meetings because prophecy is the gift by which God is speaking to people. We need to hear God's voice when we come together. That's one of my prayers every, every single day as I'm anticipating my role of being up here and opening God's word with you that God's voice would be heard. The gift of prophecy would be in action that you would hear from God. How many of you know we need that? And so Paul is saying, in public, we want to give prominence to the gift of prophecy because we need to hear from God unless, indeed, he interprets. Uh, that the church may receive edification. He says that there, we, pro- we want to promote prophecy over uh, tongues and, unless there's interpretation that the church is edified. And... We need that kind of edification. I'll say one more thing before we wrap this up about this. How many of you ever downloaded um, Christian worship music or purchased a Christian worship CD? I know nobody does that anymore, but... (laughs) You know why we do that? Because we sort of hitch a ride on the worship that's being offered in those recordings. It, it, It sweeps us up away into the into what was happening uh, with the songwriter or the musician that's making that expression. You know, it's, 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 we love that. You know, it draws us into worship of God. Well, when there is, in a public gathering, when there's uh, someone worshiping God with the fire hose, you know, and then someone who uh, gives us not word-for-word interpretation but the sense of what's being communicated from the heart of another to the throne of God, we're all kind of swept away in that and we get to hitchhike on that. It's lovely, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. And that's why it edifies the church. Uh, But let me uh, just close this service before I dismiss you with prayer um, by demonstrating. I said earlier that it's probably only been about maybe 10% of you that would have ever heard me speak in tongues. Well, all of you are right now. And at first, this may seem to some of you to, to be sort of a grandstanding, maybe. It's not. Uh, maybe even out of order because, you know, all the, uh, your, Paul's uh, um, directions about uh, when tongues is manifest in the church and the, and the need for interpretation and stuff to, to be, uh, you know, honored. And, and I'm, I'm a total proponent of all that, but I'm not going to wait for any sort of interpretation now. And the reason that I'm, I feel confident that that's okay is because I've laid all this groundwork. This is not a surprise to anybody. You've heard me. You've heard my teaching. You know 
where I stand on this. And so I'm not about to do anything right now that's going to disturb or trouble or uh, confront anyone. But I want you, if you have, as many have, been exposed to, distorted, abusive, weird, troubling experiences with the gift of tongues, like that guy on the radio this morning surely had. I want you to um, witness, to hear the genuine article. Okay? All right? All right. Aromashala lepiotos, mirafurobalai, ikenoshanas. Shimele lo sorie by tiatavar no kamahelese so sarat, tukushilenan. Mahrome debibushivala luta sena cantos. Nihro neta kaimahelser, fado mobushale doce, kaiju ritandu mama meta shalalela sukat. No tonde my chebe la cre, to gusave tabulu. Le rai mana so dai deve fitugaso reta le nama. Mohren, ni varo se le gusada, shulitai, tipo furitaso no co, vere ti parrone. Vorasa la labautu cuhe, to solo la maro. Areme patu. Father in heaven, I pray that you would um, cause this, along with all of the other gifts of your spirit, to find its proper, orderly, uh, wondrous expression and place among us and in our lives.